Let's do it. Guys, welcome to Nathan K. Gingerbread Podcast. On the couch there, we've got Michael Pussy, a.k.a. CK Flash, MBE for his dedication to sport and the BMX track. Is it, was, it, was the MBE for that? Yeah, it was, it was for the, um, the, the accomplishment of the riders that are in the Olympic team and also the uh, me raising £1.2 million wow. and building an Olympic training national standard track in, an, in Peckham. That's an incredible achievement. Yeah. Okay. Take us back to a younger boy, right? Mm-hmm. So, how did you... 16, 17, what was life like growing up? Um, I worked, as I was saying, uh, for a go-kart track indoors. Indoor go-kart track, you know, the ones where you can race, like... There's loads of them, like Daytona, Team Sport, Playscape. And um, uh, I got into that very early, from the age of about 12 or 13, okay. just working at the go-kart track, going to school, doing the usual stuff, going to college. And that used to be like my daytime job. And while I was doing that, I got into BMXing because I used to ride the Brixton skate park, which is round the corner from Brixton Academy in Brixton. And then an old man called Ken came up to me and said, oh, do you want to go BMXing? And I got into that. So I was into BMXing, I was into go-karting. My brother was a a DJ on Choice FM, which is Commander B, famous reggae DJ. Done a lot with Grime as well with myself. And um, yeah, I just grew up just enjoying life. All my family worked. My sisters were either solicitors, social workers, private secretaries for people in parliament. My mum worked seven days a week. Uh, she had a, she was a night nurse um, in a mental hospital looking after mental patients. Wow. And also she had a market stall on, on, on the three days of the week. So she worked seven days a week. Amazing. She looks like an incredible woman. I you see, you, you, I see your appreciation for her because she's in your videos. Yeah, yeah, Amazing yeah. woman. She loves to dance. Yeah, she's funny. <laughs> she's funny. I think she's like the heart of the, um, my Instagram. People always, whenever they think, they go, how's your mum? I said, she's all right. She's 88 now. But she's Listen. sharp as nails. She's all up here. You can't, you can't get nothing past her. <laughs> so as a youngster, I worked at the go-kart track. I travelled the world doing BMXing because I loved it. Um, and um, I, I hanged around some of the top people in BMX. And um, it helped me to grow my mind to realise how they were training, what they were doing to be the best at the sport. I hanged around with a couple of world champions. And um, in the go-karting, which was the corporate indoor go-karting entertainment business, I became an instructor. And while I was becoming an instructor, I uh, mixed with people from KPMG, Coots Bank account, Barclays Bank account. I met certain people and then I had somebody there mentoring me on what these people do. Now, I never had a clue, but somebody there who really liked me told me, look, this is what they do with their money. They invest into property, the property goes up in value, it's not really invested in cars, it's more in that and then afterwards when it's going up in property and they have a spare money that they can afford then they buy a car or they buy a classic classic car. So that's kind of my upbringing and um, I just kept the good in myself So and and whatever I thought was bad, which I knew, you kind of know what's bad or the bad company, I just kept them to the side and just kept on moving forward. The BMXing, when you said, you know, BMXing is quite competitive because you're, you know, you're on your own, right? Yeah. BMXing. Is that what made you competitive? Do you think that's what gave you that sort of edge as a young kid to sort of make you competitive and give you that drive? Yeah, I think, yeah, like you said, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a, you're on your own sport. You're on the start gate on your own. You're on the track on your own. You cross the finish line on your own. So really, it wasn't even a team thing where people could carry you along. So, you know, once I learned how to train um, with the top riders in the world, 
um, who are still some of my good friends, I took that discipline and focused and put it into anything else that I did. And because I was alone, I didn't really, my parents weren't really that sports orientated. They were just working. They were just trying to make a living and keep, keep their head above water. Um, I worked out once talking to people what food I kind of had to eat. And, you know, I just started training. And everything was all about myself and just keep it moving. So um, I think anything I had from after BMX in was, was a big drive yeah. um, to, to make it work. You know, I'm a big believer in, you know, trying your hardest and, and, um, and, and making things work. From BMXing, how, where does it then go to, actually, I want to play music, I want to be a DJ. Right, so, how, did, how did that transition? So my brother was always in music. Okay. I've got two brothers, they've always been in music and they've always been big in the game, they're well known. So my first one is a studio engineer and his name's Fitzroy Blake. At Blake, um, and he is uh, uh, He's worked with all the top reggae artists, nice. and he's worked with a lot of the top grime artists later on down the line. Mm -hmm. So he was into it. Then he got my other brother into it, whose name's Paul Blake, and his name is Commander B, which a lot of people would know if they listened to Trace back in the day with this So Solid and Dizzy Rascal clash. Mm. That he was the main guy behind the clashes, and how it all became was. I then said, when I got to 18, when I was BMXing, was meant to go into the Olympics, it didn't get to go into the Olympics. So where I was kind of coming up into the pro ranks, I thought, well, if it's not going to go in the Olympics, I'm not really going to be bothered with it again. I want to make some money. I was getting educated at my go-kart job about property and investments. Mm. And I thought, well, how am I going to make money to go into it? And I thought, well, DJing is quite good. If you're kind of okay, you might get paid £80 for a night, or you might get 150 if you're kind of good for an hour's set. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Little did I know I was going to be earning like anything from 500 to over a thousand pound for an hour set when mm. I was at the top of the game. But I just knew it was something I wanted to do. I wanted to stay kind of physical fit and carry on maybe BMXing in between. But I knew it wouldn't take much work. I'm just going out once or so often and two times a week I could earn 300 quid what people would have to work a whole week for. Yeah. So I thought that was a good game. I was already going out bits and pieces with my brother who was the DJ, Commander B, and we were going all over the place and I was learning the craft. And then I became an MC for him. Oh, wow. So I got so good at it, he allowed me to MC and talk. So he'd give me the mic every so often until he thought, right, this guy, he's kind of good. <laughs> yeah. So now he stopped talking now and he let me become uh, the, the MC for him. Wow. So he would play the music and he would just do a little bit in between. Um, and then um, I worked out after a year of following him, I thought, whoa, if I could just do a bit of DJing, then I'd become the whole package. Yeah. So then I started DJing and I was on his circuit. His circuit was more reggae, R&B, rear groove music. And, it, you know, it was good music, but I felt that. I wanted to go wider and I felt that, you know, the house music was where it was, where mm. I could travel the world and it was good music. And I was a bit of a hype guy, so I liked the house music, house and garage as well. So I started DJing and then a new station on Choice FM came up, which was the only legal black station at the time in England. Um, before One Extra, before, you know, Kiss FM and all these guys started doing their thing. Um, and I said, yeah, let me do this. So I took about a year out and trained with him while he was doing his radio show. They had a production studio 
and I'll be in the production studio while he was doing his proper radio show, mm -hmm. and I'll be making demos and getting it right. And he was real, real hard task worker. It was it, yeah. Yeah, and he made sure I got it right because obviously it's his name because yeah. he was already a top DJ. So they gave me a slot. Um, I remember one of the guys, Ivor, said, oh, I'm going to give you free tool six. And I said, you're crazy. I said, I'm not doing that. I said, when I get big, you're going to know that you offered me that and I turned down your station. Yeah. I don't know what made me say that. And what made me say that? He said, he said all right, I'm going to give you drive time Wednesday and Thursday, wow. um, four till seven. So I thought, right, crack in there. Yeah. And I was still learning the garage music. I must admit, I wasn't into the garage from early, but I was, in, I was into a few of the music. So I started bigging the music, started playing it. I couldn't mix as good at the time. And I went on there, and it was a bit shaky at first because you've never done a radio show, you know, you're just getting into the new music. And then um, my emphasis was helping young people. Mm. So I got onto the radio station, and within maybe four or five months, three, three to four months, everything started to level out. I was getting used to it. My emceeing skills started to home into radio skills now. And I started playing UK music for the young people that didn't have a platform. Nice. So where I was DJing in clubs, and I, because remember, because I'm from a reggae background, hip hop, I know that vibe, that, that what catches the crowd. Yeah. I started to see some young people in the clubs emceeing, and I think, wow, you guys are good. Mm. And I'm thinking, what's happening with you? Are you not getting any exposure? And they're like, no. I said, all right, well, come up on the station. Now, on a pirate station, that's natural, bring your mates in, but on a legal station, yeah. at the time was playing reggae, R&B, a little bit of UK stuff. It wasn't really getting taken real serious. There was a few people that broke through, like Kenny Thomas back in the day, some old, you know, like old tracks, but there weren't no chart-topping number ones, wow. unless it was like the pop kind they of they love stuff. that. Yeah, so I brought the youth, young people in. My brother said, you know how you become big as a radio DJ in my game is when you help people they start mm. talking about you so i brought so solid was the first wow i brought them on and then i brought them to my brother and he was on night time i was on drive time so they got rotation and they blew as you know yeah and then after that we had a producer that had um produced miss dynamite boo and he came up the studio with her but no he didn't he came up with a mini disc. Do you remember mini, mini disc? Mini disc. They were I love mini discs. Yes, mini disc, and it had the the boo track on it. You know her boo in your head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So I took it. We played it, and I said, "This track is gonna blow." He didn't want to give it to me at the time because obviously he want, maybe wanted to give it to someone. And what I did, I went and um, copied it in the <laughs> other studio, and I started to blaze this track. And then my brother was bringing her on every week. Wow. So she had rotation on me. And then, and she wow. blew. So then everybody's like, hold oh, on a minute. So Solid, Miss Dynamite. They're not on Kiss. They're not on BBC. It was so Solid. Then came More Fire Crew with Lethal Bizzle. Wow. My brother knew his manager. And he said, there's a new group. I'm, you guys, I don't think you guys realise. Because the talk at the time was like, CK Flash, Commander B, you get your song to them too. You're, you're gonna blow. Yeah. yeah, they've got this little thing with this little UK new kind of garage sound, grimy sound going on. So he gave us the more um, the oi track. Oi, who's that boy Lethal B? Oi, who's that boy? <laughs> yeah. So he gave us that. We played that, and they blew. <laughs> at the, they blew. So everybody's like, hold on, so solid, Miss Dynamite, more fire. 
and we had the studio. My brother built a studio in Leytonstone. Then from that studio walks in Wiley. Then behind oh, Wiley yeah. walks Dizzy. Jesus. So my brother was not only just breaking the artist, he then had a studio with some of the latest boys from that side of London, even though we was from South, yeah. with Dizzy Rascal, Wiley, um, Jemma, all that crew. That is crazy. My brother was producing them with my other brother, who was the engineer. Wow. So it was like, hold on, we're engineering, we're producing, and we've got radio play. It was a monopoly. I was being taken out by record producers and record, the record companies, executives. Did you enjoy that part of the life? Did you enjoy that Yeah, lifestyle? I did, because I tell you what, it was my first part into helping young people. Yeah. And that's what I get my kick from, Reward. helping, rewarding yeah, and is. helping young people achieve their dreams. And we was the only one that had that kind of platform where we had older people listening to our radio show mm. as well as younger heads. Where does that come from, that desire to help younger people? Because there's, there's a lot of people on here that do want to help, but there's a lot of people out there that don't give a shit. Yes. Where does that come from, that want and the desire to help other people? I think because when you grow up in a community where I grew up and you're around the areas like South London, Brixton, and you see Peckham, and you see, you know, you see poverty, and you see people living in little apartments on, on barely surviving on what the government's giving them. Um, and you see that there's a lot more opportunity in young people and adults as well. Of course. You know, and um, you can give them an opportunity where they can get into a job or get into an industry where they can elevate themselves and take themselves to a next level. I think when you know you've done that without even receiving anything back, it's more than money. It's more than it's more than receiving. It fills the soul and the yeah, heart. Yeah, it fills it? the soul and the heart, and that's what I've always been. So people like you know, um, where is she? Where's Gemma? Oh, uh, behind you, right behind you here. There you go. Yeah, so people like Gemma Fox. Yeah. And Gemma would tell you, and a ton of artists mm. I used to bring on. Uh, Maxwell Dino, let me get serious. Yeah. All those, all of those guys. They they say they say, boy, if it wasn't Mega Man came up to me and he said. I just want to make you guys know they would. That's why they honoured me and my brother at uh, Kentish Town on stage at their 21st anniversary. They brought wow. us on stage, and they said they just want to make the whole crowd know if it wasn't for these two guys, there would be no so solid. That's amazing. And the same thing goes to a lot of some of these other artists. When they see us, they say, "Boy, even though people are out there talking like they are the ones that brought this thing in, yeah. people know." They say, "Nah, if you want to know who really started this movement." These two guys, because a lot of the other, at the time, with Choice, they were more into the R&B and the more reggae's and all that. They weren't really, so we were kind of the UK side that was yeah. really championing it, you know? So they owe you a lot, the UK side, then, really? Yeah, yeah, to a degree. Um, and um, from there, it, it went really well. I was really pleased. And then, obviously, the station got bought out mm -hmm. by Capital Group, um, which, and then they turned it into Capital Extra. Mm -hmm. Um, but I enjoyed my journey there, I'm not yeah. going to lie. It, was, it gave me a lot of experience and it gave me a lot of presenting skills that I may not have got if I was just doing pirate radio. Yeah. Um, and it gave me a professional outlook. But then that gave me the gap while I was there to return back to BMX. So how did that come about? How did it come about from you know helping kids bring their music to, to everyone's ears to saying, do you know what, I'm now going to raise £1.2 million to build a BMX track for you guys? Well, the idea wasn't to raise £1.2 million. The idea was to... Um, I was called up on the radio. I was doing a show at the time. 
and someone said, oh, we're trying to get hold of you because we're starting a new club um, back up, one of my existing clubs in Brixton. Um, and they said, could you come down and just help us get it going? So I went down there and because at the time I went from uh, BMXing around the world to DJing and then I was getting personal trained while I was on the DJ, um, while I was on the radio and DJ circuit. And um, I started to learn through my personal trainer exactly what training was about, about better nutrition, about sleep, about certain exercises. I used to train for BMX with my legs four days a week, non-stop, when I should have really just been doing two days a week. Yeah. I didn't know what I was doing, but I was like, I'm going to win it at all costs. And just pushing 300 pounds, you know what I mean, 300 kg every day. And I, and I wonder why my legs were still hurting at the race. And I had to, for a race, I would have to recover. So, yeah, the, um, that's how it started in Brixton. Um, I built up a club from maybe two, three riders up to about, oh, God, what was it? Oh, in the end, it was maybe it started 30 riders wow. within about three months. And um, continued it, and then I got a call to go to Peckham. So I'm in Brixton, which is known as the, you know, the the, the area. It's a bit 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 um, edgy down there. And then I'm going to Peckham on a disused track that hasn't been used for years, maybe a decade. And they're doing a little fun day in the park next to it. So I've gone there and I've cleared it all up. There was old fridges on it, and there was all sorts of bits and pieces. And I made a little circuit. I went and had a little look at it before. And when the fun day came. Council said, what do I want to do? I said, all right, I'll come down there with a few of my Brixton riders and we do something for the kids. And it was so much fun that the council goes, could you come every week and do something? Aww. So I said, one, you're going to have to pay me because we're talking council now. Yeah. So I said, all right, I've done my free thing at Brixton. I've done my free thing here. You've got to pay me to come down. And two, I'll, you need to spend money on the track. So yeah. they gave me about £13,000, which is nothing near the 1.2 million no. I raised for this. And I redone the track and I started the club. And wow. that's how it started. And then the riders from Brixton, um, um, we had a bit of a turbulence because I wanted to run both clubs yeah. and these guys wanted to run Brixton. So I said, all right, you run Brixton then and I'll just run Peckham and we just make sure all the riders are training properly. Um, it didn't happen that way with those guys and all the riders left Brixton and then came to Peckham. So I had all the Peckham riders, and then I had riders on top and the Brixton riders and then we started Peckham BMX. Wow. And, um, that was 2004, three, and then by 2008, we were already, well, we, by the next year, we were winning titles already. But by 2008, we won every title in England as a club, so we won the British Championship, we won the national title. European champion, we won, and then about a year later, we got one of the boys was our first world champion. Amazing. And that's in the movie, One Way Up. We got a movie that was on MTV, and um, it's still on Netflix. It was on Netflix, it's still on iTunes, called One Way Up. It tells you the whole story of how I started Peckham BMX. That's amazing. And one of the boys at the end of the film won the World Championship in Birmingham. That is incredible. Yeah, so that's how it all kind of came. And then, obviously, at that time, we were still riding this little play track. And people couldn't understand it. How is this BMX club winning majority of the races in the UK from, from nothing? Yeah. They're black. They don't really know BMX. They turn up on their bikes that are maybe two, three hundred pounds and beating kids on two thousand pound bikes. Yeah. And they're riding a track that's half the size of what they race on. But they didn't understand. I've got the kids a nutritionist. I've got the kids a weightlifting coach, wow. psychologist. So I made my own Olympic program within Peckham. Wow. And they went out and they wiped the floor and they still doing it to this day, near enough, you know. 
So, cut a long story short, people would say, well, why haven't you got a full-size track? You guys have got some of the best riders in the country because I was using riders that were hungry, yeah, wanted to get out of poverty. And they realised if they'd done well, they could get onto the Olympic team. They have that desire, desire, that want and that... And because one or two of the riders from Peck and BMX made the Olympic team and they saw what they were doing travelling the world, yeah. it then brought the ones below that wanted to be there as they well. They see that progression, don't they? they? They see that things are achievable. Yeah, correct. And that's what you've allowed them to do. Not allowed them to do. You've shown them that th whatever you want to achieve is possible. Correct. But you just need a platform to do it. That's right. Here's somewhere, now go prove yourself. Correct, correct, correct. So that made a real um, chain of riders coming up. It was like a chain of riders that was coming out behind the top ones. And when there was a group, there was even more powerful because the youngers would race first. So Kai... He's tipped to win the Olympics now. He was the youngest one at the time. And he would win his race. And because they're kind of edgy kids, when, they, when he come back, he would say, yeah, you look, don't, don't lose your race. You know what I mean? <laughs> don't be losing your So he'd be winding them up. So everybody would be like, I'm not making that little Yeah, Yeah, talk to me like that. Yeah. I'm going to go and win. So yeah. they, then they would win. Then the girls would win. And everybody would want to win. Nice. Nobody was, was, it was like they a movement. They wouldn't let themselves down. Yeah, yeah, so it was quite funny. So, yeah, there was that. And then while I was training them, I used to give them life values about, you know, eating correctly, waking up on time, being at the track on time. And slowly as they got older, I used to play them things in the minibus. So there was one case where, because we didn't have a track, um... And I'm always about investment and I'm worried about it later. I'm always thinking long term. Rather than, I had a time where I could have just bought myself a car and done what I did. I bought, we got a minibus, which was donated. And then I insured it because the club at the time couldn't insure it. It was just a club. And I insured it and I was just driving it about because I wanted to know that I could put kids in the bus and take them to bigger tracks so they could get the training on a full-size track. Yeah. And um, when they was in a minibus or in any vehicle I had, um, I used to play them motivational stuff. So like Tony Robbins, wow. and TD Jakes, and you know um, all sorts of those kind of kind of guys that you know, if like it would be like today's Gary V, yeah, and they would be asking me questions about investment and um, rich dad poor dad audios and all that kind of stuff. So. Um, I would play them and I would explain to them about, but they didn't know that I was kind of into investments at the time because mm -hmm. that was nothing to do with them. I just no. wanted them to do, train hard, win races, everything else would take care of itself. From yeah. there. So I was kind of educating them without them knowing it. So I would put the tape in or the CD in in the background and then they'd be like, what's this secret? And they'd be listening and then they'd be asking me questions the next day. No, or when we're getting, go, what's that tape you was playing again? Yeah. I said, oh, you want me to play it? I'll play it again. Because sometimes you can't force education no, on people. No, that's it. If they want it, they want yeah. it. And that's when they learn, right? So um, that was really good. And um, like I said, um, we needed a new BMX track. So then I went on the hunt for the council. I said, look, these kids are number one in England. They're national champions, European champions, world champions. We're on the news, we're on BBC, we need a track. Yeah. It took me six years, maybe seven years, to get it to go through. Um, I had to bring some experts on board with me to write the document and get the planning done. And in the end, in 2013, we got the land, we got the money, and we opened up the brand new facility in South London, in, in um, Camberwell. Amazing, what did yeah. that feel like? Did you just want... Oh, I cried. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, because obviously I was a tough dude. 
Um, for the kids, I was like Coach Carter. If anybody's seen the film Coach Carter, have you ever yeah, seen it? I have seen it, yeah. Yeah, I was one of them ones. Yeah, I was, I was, yeah, proper. Like, if you turned up one minute late, you're going home. Like, I was one of them ones. You knew like, about it. Yeah, I wasn't yeah. messing. Like, look at me when you called me, 10 2. I was outside waiting. Yeah. I'm about being on time. I'm yeah. about getting the job done and put your best foot forward first. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like I said, um, it was a. Uh, it was exciting times and we had the big stage and the council was there and I started to learn about um, politics and um, how, like how these councillors all go against each other for each borough because they want to be and a councillor that, that was out of the borough that yeah. gave me I think it was 250 or 300 grand towards it. Wow. They, they didn't want to invite her <laughs> because she was a part of another party. Oh wow. And I'm like are you mad? I said, this lady just gave me 300 grand for the kids and you guys are not here to open. Wow. She wasn't bothered because um, she, she didn't come because maybe she must probably felt it anyway. But she should have been given an invite. And I thought, you're playing with people's lives here. Yeah. And this woman's actually going to improve your area. Yeah. You should be put things and aside. And all these kids, regardless of... Regardless of what borough, you put your personal... E you keep your egos out of the door, right? Yeah. And you just... You're doing it... Because of the kids, yeah. not because of your ego. And they were telling me who I could invite, and I can't invite that one because he's part of. And I was like, <laughs> "Are you?" But anyway, I let it, I let it go, um, and it happened, and it made me start to learn. There's a bit more politics going on, even at this level, with yeah. kids and facilities. Maybe even maybe why there's loads of facilities or certain things ain't been done in London for kids yeah. because there's politics up the yeah. level. Who's built it? Who's done it? Who wants the kudos? I'm like. Let's just do stuff for kids. That's, yeah. Let's just get more Do the right going. thing. Open up, reopen the youth centres. If they're not working in that way, mm -hmm. why don't we put a studio in there, put a radio station in there, network it, you know, with other stations. You know, you know why, why have we got to do that? You know, yeah. why can't we do that? Because there's politics. Even me building the BMX track, there was politics. So I realised after that, wow, there's politics. So I opened that. And like I said, I came on stage and... Um, yeah, like, the kids couldn't believe it. They're like, oh, my God, CK's crying. But they didn't realise the tension and pressure yeah. I was under yeah. to get that, tree, that trap built. I hold a lot of stuff in. Yeah. And, um, and when it's done, it just feels like a massive weight off your shoulders. Yeah. It? Just like, it's an amazing sight, like, relief. Relief. So, for me, it was, it was a hard journey. And once I opened that track... Then um, people started to think this guy is serious. He's stuck in here for seven years for the kids, and got the uh, and got the track, and that led on to me getting the MBE. So when you got your MBE, yeah. So you've you've opened this track, unbelievable achievement. They've given you, an, they've awarded you with an MBE, or recognised your work towards this. Mm -hmm. What was that? How did that come about? Did you get a letter? How did you know you were going to get an MBE? What happened? Well, I think, obviously, I started to build a lot of momentum because when I kind of left the Choice FM, um, I couldn't find another legal station to go on. I didn't want to go on Pirate. I wanted to keep my levels up. I tried a few Pirates, but it just didn't feel... The same, you know, you come from a, such a high platform, yeah. breaking so solid and all these kind of guys and building a relationship. So I really wanted to still be at that level where I could help the youth because I felt the pirates can help. But when, when you're up there and you've got bigger heads and yeah. chief, you could get these young people out there that could achieve and win things like the Mobos or the Brits. That's what I wanted. You know, I want to aim to the top. Top, yeah. So um, obviously... 
the momentum was getting going. DJs that thought I was mad, they kind of didn't see the sight in the BMX. And some of them was kind of not mocking me, but making little jokes. CK's doing his little BMX thing now. But I don't think they saw what was coming. Yeah. And obviously, when it started to blow and I've done the track, and um, the woman who done the movie, the One Way Up movie yeah. that's on iTunes, keep plugging. Um, for people, <laughs> it's good for them to watch. Yeah. So that's why I keep plugging it, One Way Up. Story of Peck and BMX was, she said, you know what? I've followed you, I've filmed you for two years. Someone like you deserves to get an MBE. You know, I've seen that you're genuine. You're doing it from your heart. And obviously you've done it before in music. Let's um, see what you're doing. I had that air in music. When I heard a hit, I was just going to push it. And someone said, when I played Miss Dynamite, they've never heard a song on legal station get wee wound more than 10 times. Wow. That's what I did to the music. And I, my heart was in it so much. I'd say, ring the lines if you like this song. And it would have like 30 lines. And wow. they used to be all lit for songs like <laughs> Miss Dynamite. And when they had rewind it again, and I had a special <laughs> jingle like, CK said, rewind that track. Let's do it again. It's number one. He's the one. And then I'll play the track again. Wow. We won it. And the record company goes, I've never heard that on no. Like, because they gave us free reign. Wow. Yeah, so I had, no, serious. A man said that. I can't remember. I think it was Relentless. I don't know if you remember the record label called Relentless. And he was saying, boy, CK properly burnt that track out, man. But it blew. Yeah, um, so... Then, obviously, then, from the DJs that knew me and saw this, me building this amazing track, she put me up for the MBE. And then, I think it was Sky TV that came down and done an interview. Because I put out on my Instagram, I can't remember, Facebook, I said, something big's about to happen. Because the letter dropped at my house. And I saw the Queen's, M, Queen's logo. Yeah. And I was like, don't tell me it's the tax man. <laughs> You know what I mean? And I knew I was... HMRC. HMRC. Because yeah. I've never had a tax bill like that. I've never seen it. My accountant deals with it. And, um, yeah, um, when I opened the letter, you know, like, when you think, let me just read this again. And I said, let me just read it again to make sure. And then I went downstairs um, because my mum, obviously, she's 86. She lives with me. I look after her as well. And I said, mum, I've been invited to Buckingham Palace. You're coming to Buckingham Palace with me. Um, and she was like, well, that's really good. Because, you know, Jamaican people are a bit hard. You know what I mean? Like, oh, that's good. That's good. Like, she figured that I was pulling something on her. She thought I was lying. And uh, when it all came about and the Sky TV done the interview, I think it all went to the next level. Because a lot of the DJs knew who I was because I was breaking those acts with my brother on, on the station. Yeah. And they were breaking other stations as well. But we were kind of, you know, the, the, she, the hub. She must have been unbelievably proud. Like, what an unbelievable moment for her. Yes, it was. And at that time, everybody was coming out of the woodwork. I mean, people that knew me from the go-kart track when I was 13 years old, mm. when I actually went up and got it, um, people from all over England started sending money for the kids. Wow. Um, DJs that knew me was bigging it up. It was like, because I, I think I was kind of the one from that kind of, street scene that kind of first got it yeah. before Wiley and Miss Dynamite and you, didn't, you know the others that started to get it some that got it and some that turned it down but um, in our culture you know it's like with the Black Lives Matter and what's going on with the slavery some people don't want to take it but you got to remember I use reverse psychology I'm like well I'm going to receive it because obviously I deserve it 
and it's recognition. Because um, I was getting recognition from my black community already. But also, I realised that having that opens a lot more doors for me yeah. in general. When we talk about black people and how hard they've had it and how hard they've got a glass ceiling, if I go to any country from England, even my, my own heritage, Jamaica, Nigeria, anywhere, and people, I walk into a room, they take you serious. Yeah. But when, you t when they say he's been knighted by the, the Queen of England, yeah. it takes the conversation to a whole new level. Yeah. And then I can go in there and get stuff for young, poor people or yeah. poor kids. They listen, don't they? They listen. Yeah. yeah, so it's not a thing where um, I'm against the monarchy, but I'm not going to turn it down because of what's happened, because somebody has to get, go back and take back what they think they've took from us yeah. to give to our kids. Yeah. So if I can use that to go into the West End and walk into Coots Bank account and go there, and they were like, oh, yeah, he's just another guy trying it. And then someone says, no, but you know he received an MBE. They're like, what? Yeah, we need to take this guy serious. You don't yeah. get that for nothing. So I use that. Why to, not? To use that to, to open doors and give more opportunity to young people so they can see how I've done it. And then they can create opportunity for others and, you know, put the right energy and put it in the right direction. But receiving it, going to Buckingham Palace was the next level. You know, it was me, my brother, Commander yeah. B, my niece who works for British Airways, and my mum. And um, uh, we, got, we got, got down there in the car and they check your number plate and you've got to have all this secret stuff before you can get in the palace. Get into the palace and, you know, there's protocols they send you through and they say things like, um, uh, when you go in, they're going to tell you to go in, you take 13 steps forward then you turn to your left, you face who was giving it to me at the time was Prince Charles. And um, then you kneel down and then he does the whole talk, you stand up, you have a, like a 30 second talk with him, he pins the, the badge on you, wow. the MBE badge, and then you turn around and then you walk that way. And obviously, you know, when I, when I <laughs> turned around, I had to just give it like, yeah. <laughs> you know how I many people loved it, yeah. You gotta give a little one skank. Well, you have to, a little, a little, you little my, migraine, right? little migraine skank when you're there. No. So, um, no, like I said, uh, that, was a, that was an amazing day. It was an amazing day for my mum. Yeah. Um, at the time, she just came back from Jamaica. She got knocked over by a car. So she had pins in her leg and all that. But it was, I think it was out by then. Um, but yeah, it was an amazing day. Amazing day for my brother. Just to show appreciation. Bruv, you know, without you, maybe I not, might not have made it here. Yeah. But, you know, and um, appreciation for my niece to give her inspiration to do well and for her to continue in her job. Um, in, I think she's, she's an air hostess and manager kind of thing. So, you know, she's doing well. Nice. Um, and recognition for all the people that I've helped over the years from all the grime artists, all the UK artists, all the kids in BMX. And just to show people, yeah, you know, you can actually stand on my shoulders and say, yeah, that's one of the, one of the guys that done something good for the community. I love that. So, yeah, in, in, in terms of that, I, I'm still doing it. I'm still trying to help. There you are. Tell me about Safe House. So Safe House is semi-independent accommodation for young people, 16 to 18 or 18 plus. Um, they can stay on after that, which is a, a big building. Through my developing projects, I meet a lot of investors. I meet a lot of people with buildings that they don't know what to do with them or they're not working. And I will come and kind of troubleshoot the building and say, well, if it's not working like this, it's not working as a pub, maybe do it as a nursery or do it as an after-school club and write off certain council taxes and maybe convert upstairs into little flats because it might be open so this was a building 
that um, I was they, the guys that I know that um, took the lease on was trying to pull me into it, and I said it's not worth it. It's not in a good area. Um, and there's not no footfall going past it. So it couldn't work as a pub. And they tried to rent it to a restaurant owner. I think it was an Asian. It didn't work. A Chinese guy, it didn't work. And an Indian, yeah, it all went wrong. And they had squatters in Oof. there. And gypsies on the car park. It's got a big car park, about 30 cars. So I said to them, you know what? Let me get rid of them. So I went down there with a few heffies and got rid of the um, gypsies and the figgy because you can't go light with these guys. No, no. And I got the council and I got the police involved. And by that time, obviously, I'm fully fledged. And then when the councillor found out I had an MBE for this, he, they started bringing me around the local area and saying, could you help us? How do we develop and get the youth involved? Nice. What do we do? You know what I mean? And sometimes I keep it quiet because then when they hear it, they all want me to start bringing Good the way. ideas, which I don't mind. It depends on how busy I am. So then I got the building off my mates and I said, look, let me just roll with this. We see how it goes. You're not making any money anyway. Yeah. You know, um, I'll give you some rent, but I'm not going to give you a thingy. But if we work it, then we can do something together and yeah. it's going to be good for your name and the community. So I took the building, spent, I think, oh, about 50K new boilers and redecorate and lighting and fire it. Because when you deal with councils, yes, everything's got to be done by the... Yeah. You know. All right. So... Everything. So fire extinguishers, fire rigs, even the water that comes out of the tap had to be tested. God damn council, just give me the building. Anyway, so we got it. Um, so there's, there's potentially nine rooms that's available for young people that can sleep there. And we have snook, uh, pool sorry, table tennis tables, um, football tables. We have internet computers there for kids to surf the net. We've got um, an outside area, about a quarter of an acre, where they can run up, run up and down and have a nice time. We've got a 30-car car park where we can do events. We've got a commercial kitchen that belongs to the pub, which can be used to do events where they can integrate themselves back into the community. Yeah. And on top of it, we have the beds, bedrooms upstairs where they sleep. Um, if they've been kicked out of their house, if they've been made homeless, if they're leaving care, and we're there to kind of help them with just even simple things like making breakfast, making their bed, using the washing machine. Yeah. And then once we feel they're ready and we help them back into work, then they can go and get their flat or yeah. move into another place where they can live on their own. Just help them find some independence. Correct. So that's what Safe House is about. It's um, helping young people to get on their feet and giving them um, life goals and making sure that they're structured and they can go into the environment and integrate back with the community. Amazing. So that's how that came about. It's, and it's been a bit hard getting going because as we were about to get the first kids in, COVID came down, ah, yeah. which stopped everything. So we've, we've, it, now it's kind of coming back normal again. The, the councils are now starting to realise who I am yeah. and what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And they're starting to ring. As soon as I leave here, I'm going to meet somebody from uh, council um, from Waltham Forest who's coming down and I think he wants to place five kids straight away. So wow. before I'll be looking for more properties. To, yeah. <laughs> I'll be looking for more properties to place the young people. Nice. Um, and finding properties can be difficult as well because if you're dealing with agents, you know, they're thinking, oh, it's young kids, they might destroy their place, but you've got to give people a chance. chance. Yeah, that's right. And um, if you've got the right team around you that can actually educate and mentor, because mentorship is a big thing for young people. Yeah. Um, and you can get the right people talking to the kids, then some of these bad kids that they say are really bad, they're not as bad as what people think. They just need a... Probably a lot smarter than, than I am and we are, yeah. for sure. Yeah. You know, they just need that, 
just need to show a little bit of guidance. Like, right. that's just the, this is the right way. This is the path you want to take, and they'll yeah. find it. So that that's where we've gone with that. And then I've opened up job opportunities for a lot of young people. So I've already before I opened Safe House, um, I had I've had opportunities where I could get them into um, uh, air hosting, restaurants, building, electrician, sports. Um, centers. So I've been placing young people I through, saw con- that. through yeah, contacts, I saw that. you know, um, even packing cereal, um, British World jobs. So that's what we want to do. And um, I've got a few companies myself. Um, I've got, um, as well as the real estate business and showing them the way, I've got people that are building massive projects, 10 bedroom properties. Wow. I also have another company which sells watches, high end watches, so mm-hmm. Cartier's and Rolex, which is called Big Time Watches on Instagram and we sell, we don't have a shop, but we have an Instagram and people come and buy high-end watches and jewelry from us. Nice. And that keeps me afloat, which is great because you've got to have sometimes more than one income because if you do property and COVID comes down, yeah. everybody moves out. <laughs> yeah. So you've got to have something to keep you ticking over. Um, and then I have a sports management agency, which yeah. manages my athletes, which is called Levels, Levels Management. So I'm managing um, my BMX athletes, which is Kai, and Trey White, Kai is the boy that's the youngest that started me at the beginning and he's, he's, he's won a, a World Cup and wow. he's top rider for the Olympic team at the moment. Incredible. Um, you've got Trey White and then he's not, the other one that's not under me but part of the club is Quillen. So 70% of the Olympic team at, the, at this current moment are my riders. Wow. So that's another amazing achievement. And I don't really push for that, but I just keep doing what I'm doing and all of a sudden someone will come to me and go, CK, you know you've got majority of the Olympic team are Peckham Riders, South London. And I listened to a, another podcast on the way here and they were saying, why is it that cycling and certain sports don't have more black riders in it, you know? And they were just talking about the breakdown and how certain things feel to certain young people getting into it. And some people's had to walk away from the sport and other sports and stuff. But I've managed to mould my riders to make the riding do the talking. Mm. Don't get upset, you're gonna hear things, you're gonna diss. Let's just keep it cool and you do the winning and once you start winning, everybody's gonna love you. Yeah. And everything will fall into place. So yeah, Safe House is brilliant. I'm I know once we get going, um it's gonna be a very big move. Try and roll that out as well. Yeah, we'll be turning rough stones into diamonds. Yeah. And that's basically what I wanna do. And um I wanna improve the community um and also earn a little bit of money from it at the same time. Hey, why not? Because I see it as, you know, when I look back and you look at what's going on with the governments and the banks, and they're not even, like you said, they don't give a shit. No. They're taking everybody's money, they're taking everybody's pension, and they're not even giving back to the community. Well, I'm doing something and I can feed the people that help me run it, so I'm employing more people. Yeah. And then me as a director, I also help the links and bring it together and we all earn money together. together. Yeah, nice. And that is the difference. Everyone so eats. Everybody eats, you that's know, it. and everybody can survive. So that's more for me with Safe House. And like I said, um, yeah, we just help everybody out. And If you were to look for any help or support yourself, if anyone out there is listening or watching, what sort of, what sort of people are you looking to get around you? What, sort of, what do you need at the moment? Uh, it's always, you're always looking for funding because uh, sometimes, you know, you can see that there's more young people that need help, but you might not have the finances to um, elevate 
the, the more properties and stuff yeah. like that. And also anybody that has a business that you can take on a young person that has been vetted by ourselves. Because mm -hmm. obviously we don't want to send some young person that's having issues. You want to get him over that issues and get him over the line and say, mm -hmm. right, I can send him to yourself and you can take him and give him maybe a three week trial or work experience yeah. and mold him there, you know, and then, then you can maybe get him to work for you or he's gone away and he's had that, that experience. Yeah, of course. And, um, you know, things like that. And I'm also looking for people that are, want to mentor young people, yeah. you know, because not all of us have had a rocky life um, and not all of us have had the same upbringing. And some of us have been fortunate for our parents to be a certain way. And when you look at the backstories of certain kids and you go back to their parents and where they were brought up and maybe what they went through, it's not their fault that their kids are the way they are because it's oh, come course. way back from maybe the 60s or the 70s where some parents that came to this country had a job in Marks and Spencers and that some didn't have to. They might have had to hustle their way through yeah. to survive. And that hustling has gone through to the generations and it's made the others hustle so they don't know about property investments or you know certain legal stuff they've had to just do what they had to do to survive and the problem is they're just never given a chance mm -hmm. that's they're, they're just people just don't give them a chance to be able to sort of see the other side of things yeah and then you've got the peer group so because they're in that group and they're of that peer group they they grow up with that and it just goes on from generation until you get someone that maybe is a little bit different and experienced a little bit something different yeah and it takes years to change a generation sometimes mm. but if we can do it together like a village and we're all growing up they say it's a village that grows up a young person. And I've got a ton of safe houses yeah. around South London or around the country. And it's not just me, there's loads of other people working. So all the social workers, all the key workers, all the youth workers, all the mentors, I've got to big them all up. If we can get a key of us all doing our stuff over North London, South London, Birmingham, Manchester, and we start building this alliance of us, yeah then we're going to change maybe 50% of those kids that can then, you know, help other kids in the future. Yeah, absolutely. So it has to be starting with us. It's that snowball effect, isn't it? Snowball yeah. effect. And also somebody said to me yesterday, it is about our own changing our own. Unless you grew up in the estate as a white person and you was round that, you can't talk to a kid from the estate. Mm -hmm. It ain't going to gel. You can't come to them with Oxford University and think they're going to gel. It's not going to work. No. Forget that. If you grow up in the estate as a white or a black person and you go to an estate kid that's having problems, mm. then you could tell them, yeah, I've been there, but this is what i done, yeah? yeah? This is how I got out of it. So stop your foolishness. Stop your rubbish. Let's get over here. Let's get the work done and let's make you into a better person. Yeah, nice. And that's what I'm talking about because I have, since getting into my safe house project, I'm meeting a lot of social workers that are saying that some of the people within their councils and governments are a bit delusional of what's happening with the kids and they're trying to put onto them or just bypass them, throw them out, <laughs> kick them out of the system because they don't understand. And she's saying, no, how can you kick them out yeah. and she might have a baby or this, that and the other and you want to take away the baby. No, you need to deal with it like this. Mm -hmm. Because she understands. She's from the area. She knew how they grew up and she didn't go that way, but she's seen people that have gone that way and this is how you deal with that. So we have to look at the people in our community that have been there and have changed their life that can come back and help, help, help yeah. their kids. And, and in some cases, yeah, some Oxford University people can help, 
but you need to be guided with us as well, yeah. you know, because it has to be a 50-50 thing if you're going to come in. So you understand if you're game wrong, we're going to say, no, don't do that. Yeah. Give it to there's them a like time this. and place for those guys from Oxford to come and give their part. Yes, right? there's, that's a, right. there's a time and place, but it's yeah. not at the beginning. Not at the beginning. Nah. Not at the beginning. That doesn't so work. For me, um, my, my next outfit would be to travel the world, any country that wanted me to come and build a sports facility, a BMX facility. Um, I've got a new TV show being worked on now. I was on a TV show a couple of years ago with Maya Gemma, Stormzy's girlfriend, Steve-O from Jackass, um, Jordan Banjo from Diversity, a thing called Revolution. I went to LA um, and I met a, some parents through my BMX club, because you don't know who's at your BMX <laughs> club. I got over a hundred kids that turn up every week. <laughs> and I met his sister who was a production for Gordon Ramsay in London and LA. We came up with a production, it was nine million pounds and I presented that as a TV presenter and I DJed on the show as well. And it was all about BMX skateboards and bladers. It was a competition. Um, and now they've come back to me and they want to do another show where I'm going to be doing seven steps to success or 10 steps. I'm going to take a group of young people and take them through a series of tasks and integrate them with my boys at the BMX and just help them along their way. Nice. And it all integrates in what I want to do. And like I said, I want to travel the world, you know, get involved in a load of projects. And like I've always done, if I do manage to make a bit of investment on the way, I want to take a percentage, which I've always done, and help the community where I can. And that's, that's me. I love that. Yeah. Michael? Yes. CK Flash? Yes, good to see you. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. And Absolute pleasure. Thank you guys for listening and um, look out for more. Stay tuned. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Take care. God bless.